This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. I don't know if you've ever had acupuncture. It was years and years and years before I decided I would try acupuncture because basically I'm terrified of needles. And I don't know if you're like that, but I just like, you show me a needle, I'm going in the opposite direction. But Angie done it, it, it she had great results. And so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. And so I went in for acupuncture. And when you go in the room, the lighting's very dim and, and there's this spa music in the background. It's very relaxing. And the very first time, very first appointment, lasts about an hour. The doctor ended up putting 172 needles in me. 172 needles. Now, what was fascinating to me is none of them hurt except one. There was one that hurt. The the doctor, basically, they trace your nerves and different things, and they know that this somehow affects that, and that somehow affects this, and they they know all that. And it's it's amazing how they're able to determine where the needs are and what needs to be done, but... I had, I had needles in my head. I had needles around my eyes, in my ears, on my throat, all over my arms, my hands, my legs. There's a spot. If you look at the foot in between the big toe and the second toe, I can tell you this morning when a needle goes in between the big toe and the second toe, you will find yourself screaming like a middle school girl. I I thought I might be levitating. I I thought, man, I'm about to meet Jesus and I'm going to fly into heaven screaming. I don't know how that's going to look or how that's going to work, but it lit up my world. And immediately she took the needle out, massaged the area and put it back in. Because one of the things you learn with acupuncture is in places where there might be a blockage, where, where the nerves are not able to do what they're supposed to do and the brain is not able to communicate to that area the way it should because something is interrupting, something is inhibiting, something is blocking. When a needle goes in there to correct that problem, it's going to hurt. But if you can get through the hurt, it's going to be far more helpful than hurtful. And this morning, as we look for just a moment at the scriptures, as we glance into what the word of God has to say, for some of you, This is the day you've been coming to church for. For some of you, this this is the moment. You may not have even known why, but you, you, you keep coming and you keep trying. Or maybe you're here today for the very first time. And I want you to know if you are, you are welcome here. We're thrilled you're hanging out with us this morning. But, but this, this is what's underlying. This is what is compelling you to come. And for some, as we get to it, it might hurt initially. Because this is what has been blocking everything God wants to do in your life. This is what has been interrupting your spiritual growth. This this is what has been hindering your ability to sense the presence of God and know the power of God and function in the spirit of God and, and have the life that you read in the Bible you should be able to have, not absent of struggle, just knowing intimately a God bigger than the struggle. This, for many of you, Today, this is it. We move into Jonah chapter 2. And I want to invite you to stand with me as we read the Word of God, just in honor of the Word of God. Jonah chapter 2, whether you have a Bible or on your phone, leather Bible, device, or you look at the screen. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. 
From the inside of the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. And Father, this morning, it's my prayer. You would do that in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. I don't know how you're spending your life. The 24 hours of every day, the days of every week, the weeks of every month, the months of every year, the years of every decade. I don't know how you spend a majority of your time or the pursuit of your time. I know that many people spend their lives debating history rather than making history. Many people in life bounce through the frustrations of what they wish God would do instead of recognizing what God is doing. Many people seem to be, even in church often, uninterested in what God wrote, so they're unable to understand that he's still in many ways writing. Have you embraced the reality that God is currently writing the next chapter of your life? I have no idea what kind of chapter you're in, but if it's difficult, if it's cloudy, if you hear the thunder and you see the lightning, please always remember, God says, do not put a period where I put a comma. God says, you can trust me even in this. This is not the final chapter. And what's ahead of you can be greater than what's behind you. But we, even Christ followers, those of you that are people of faith and you try to trust God and you try to hold on to God, we, we can stop believing because we can't see that. You and I, we look into our future and we assume that what we see is all there is. You look into your future marriage and you see it as it is. And so you've lost hope that it can grow or be healed or, or have any positive momentum. You look into your future, the future of your career, and you assume what has been will be. And there might be slight hopes, moments of uh, where hope kind of jumps up and raises its hand that maybe things might get better. But overall, you see what you have seen. And so it makes it hard to believe. You look into your future. And because you've lived struggle, you see struggle. Because you've lived hurt, you see hurt. And we assume that that's all there is because that's all we see. And it translates into every area of life. It's why we love comeback stories. We love the comeback in the movies or the TV shows or the, the books we read. We love comebacks, but we rarely live comebacks. 
Because we decide it's over before God does. And the hardest days are lived in the darkest clouds and the lightest storm, loudest storms created by our own failures. See, one of the greatest struggles in my life when it comes to faith and the future and what God might be able to do, one of the greatest struggles in my life is that I know me. Perhaps one of your greatest struggles is that you know you. You have been present at every failure in your past. You were there involved in every mistake, every decision, everything you're ashamed of, everything you wish you could have a do-over. You were there. But it's there. It's when we tell ourselves that we've messed up too bad. We're too tired. We think we don't have what it takes. So in a way, we host our own funeral. A funeral that God never planned and a funeral that God refuses to attend. Think about it. Just just think about it. What has changed in your life since last Sunday? What is better or improved? Not, Not because... The weather changed in your circumstances or emotions outside of you, but but what is it that has changed inside you in the last seven days, the last 168 hours, the last 10,080 minutes, the last over 600,000 seconds? What's different about you? What is different about your thoughts? since last Sunday? What is different about your parenting since last Sunday? What habits have you finally embraced and leaned into that you find you're becoming more emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy and relationally healthy? And what what habits have you finally seemed to kick to the curb in your life just since last Sunday? How has your financial life changed? since last Sunday. I think far too often, without even knowing it, almost unintentionally, and yet there is great intention behind it. We can live Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday and nothing changes. Except a feeling we get in a room where we give God a nod and we agree with something we hear. Or we give the pastor a gesture because we disagree. We call him number one. But ultimately in life, could it be true that as you've been living Sunday to Sunday to Sunday to Sunday, not much change? It's because what seems unintentional is very intentional. You have to, based on how you were created, based on how I was created, we we actually have to try not to grow closer to God. And you try by giving up. We keep breathing, but we stop living. We open our eyes each day, but we don't see by faith. Every morning we, we get up. 
we've stopped waking up. And we move through the calendar and we feel the months roll by and the years passing. And we live as though in some ways we've already passed because we have pronounced death on a preferred future. We've pronounced death on a better marriage. We've pronounced death on anything improving in our lives. And a large part of the reason for that is, you know you and I know me. And we are far above average in messing things up. And when we get down to the root cause, it's, it's, not, it's not what other people have done to us. We, we live in blame, but the reality is we know it's not what others have done to us. It's the things I'm ashamed of. The inability I seem to have to be more consistent. Paul, the apostle, put it this way. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. It's that human condition that that we live in. And you can be in this room this morning, breathing, listening, even as a follower of Jesus, but you've given up. God didn't, but you did. And it is here. It is in that moment when when you think that your life is over, it will never be any better. It will never be more. You will never reach the significance that you you hoped you would. You would never uh, attain the kind of marriage, be the kind of person, be the kind of parent, the the kind of student. You, You look into the future of your life and you've lived enough life that there's not much hope. It just seems like it's over. But it is here that you can discover more of your life than you've ever known. It is in this place that I believe Jonah, think about it, swallowed by a fish. We're not going to debate whether that really happened or not. The fact that Jesus references it twice in the gospels and Jesus died on a cross and three days later got up from the dead. I, I just, if a guy can die and three days later he's alive, I just believe whatever he says. I just make it simple. And so Jesus references Jonah. He says, just like Jonah was in the fish for three days, so the son of man will be dead for three days and then come back. Jesus references this, but, but Jonah is at that place. Think about it. Have you ever been swallowed by a fish? Have you ever had that level of complete darkness and utter hopelessness and everything's over? And Jonah, while he's in the fish, is dealing with the reality that it's all by his own choice. God said, go to Nineveh. He said, no, thank you. And he went in the opposite direction. It is his choices. So perhaps what's darker than being in the fish is the darkness that is in his mind invading his spirit where he realizes, I put me here. There is no greater hopelessness than I put me here. Because if I put me here, I can put me here again. And some of you, In life, we can live a pattern of putting ourselves here over and over and over again. But this is the place that everything can change. And it happens in one word. One simple word. It's a word we hate. It's a word we're not drawn to. It's a word we we don't ever, ever want anybody to describe us as someone who would do this. But a greater life is found in this word. It's the word surrender. 
To us, it means we lost. If I surrender, it's over. It's the end. We're done. We've, we've given up. There's no hope. Surrender. We know what it means when a military surrenders. We know what it means when one nation surrenders to another. We know what it means when a team surrenders. When we surrender, we lost. But wasn't it Jesus who said, those who lose their lives will find it? Surrender. It even feels harsh in the words of scripture. How the word of God defines surrender is uncomfortable. Phrases like, you've got to lay your life down. Phrases like, you're bought with a price. Phrases like, you're crucified with Christ. Phrases like, take up your cross. If that's all there was and heaven wasn't promised and the reality was the spirit of God living in our lives wasn't offered, I don't know that many would be signing up for this life. But salvation cannot, salvation does not happen without surrender. Verse 1, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I remember one of my earliest memories of going swimming as a kid in in a neighborhood pool. And and I remember the first time, the earliest memory I have of of going under the water. And there's something about when you're under the water, you hear muffled voices, but you don't hear as well. And one of the things I discovered, and you know this, you don't have to go very deep at all before you stop hearing anything. Anything. See, often it's not even the deep troubles in life that bring silence. Sometimes it's the little ones. The ones that are just under the surface, that are always there. And they can distort what we need to hear. And when these little problems get just a little bit bigger, there's silence. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. For some of you, life has been swirling deeper and deeper. Maybe you're in this room. Maybe you're watching online. But but life just seems to be swirling. And there's a kind of hopelessness. And when you think about Jonah being in this well, and his own decisions put him there. But, but what do you do when your own decisions put you in a horrible place that seems hopeless? You can't go back in time. You, you can't go back and change that. You are where you are. And the message of Jonah, Jonah tells us that that's where God starts. Jonah from the inside of the fish. See, God has no problem starting from bad and hopeless places. God can step inside hopelessness. God can work from inside despair, from from inside what's the point. From inside, it doesn't matter anymore. From, From inside, there's no way out. God shows us the way out. Hebrews chapter 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Are you, are you entangled? Not, not because of what they did to you, but because of what you did to you. Because of what you keep doing to you. So there's the doubt and there's the questions. Is there a sin that has been hindering God's best in your life? Is there something in your life? God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He said no and went in a different direction. Is there something in your life that is hindering, blocking God's best in your life? Is there something that you know that God is not pleased with and it, it just somehow keeps holding you down and holding you back? Your life will stay disconnected until you realize... I am so far from where I need to be. Are you entangled? That, that's, where, that's where Jonah starts. And that's actually where the help begins and where hope can find you. Jonah's done. It's, it's over. He's been swallowed. There's no out. He can't maneuver out of this. He can't talk his way out of this. There are no more options. But Jonah realizes when there are no more options, there's always one more option. There's always this option. Even when there's none, there's this one. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And often when we look at this passage and look at this verse and read verses like this in scripture, we focus on the first two words. When the fifth is the most important. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. I've tried that. I've been in hopelessness. I've, I've been dealing with this problem. I've been living in this struggle. You have no long, no idea how long, Pastor, I've, I've been wrestling with this and, and praying and asking God. I, I've tried that. I've tried praying. You've tried praying out of desperation. But have you tried praying from a place of surrender? You've prayed with an agenda. But have you ever prayed with no agenda? You have your list, your demands. You don't call them demands, but you, you have what you need God to do. And if he'll do that, you'll do your part. You'll come through. You'll be who you need to be. If, if God would just rearrange this, if God would just change this, if God would just help me, if God would do that, then I could be who God created me to be. But Jonah prayed to the Lord. It's, it's fascinating to me in scripture. It does not say Jonah prayed to his God. But there is this emphasis placed in the word of God on the reality that Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. See, God was more than just an option. God was more than just a father. God, God was more than just something to be considered as a possibility. There's a big difference in Jesus is my Lord and Jesus is my savior. And I wonder if he can really be my savior if he's not my Lord. So how do we do that? How do we pray from a place of surrender like Jonah did? How do we do that? It's very simple. We pray recognizing that everything that I don't surrender dies. Everything that I don't surrender dies. 
Armies surrender in war to avoid death because death is the only other option. So we surrender. No army that's winning a war has ever had a strategic meeting of the commanders to figure out how to surrender that day. You don't surrender when you're winning. You surrender when you're losing. So perhaps God allows those losing moments in our lives where hopefully we will look to him and say, hey, I've tried everything in my strength, my power. I've tried all of my intellect, everything that I've tried to muster together. It hasn't worked. Maybe I need something more than me. You and I, living in the reality of our circumstances, we have two options, surrender or death. And it's hard for us because we live as though everything in this life is about my life. We live as though life is all about us. But truthfully, you and I are here and our purpose is way bigger than just me or just you. You have a purpose. You have a calling, a ministry, a mission. But to achieve that, we have to live a surrendered life in such a way that we live more for others than we live for ourselves. See, the reality is, I have to be honest with you, the reality is, I do not deserve the bride that I have. I do not deserve the kids that I have. I do not deserve the friends that I have. I do not get, deserve to get to be your pastor and your friend. I don't get to deserve, I don't deserve what I get to do. What I deserve in reality is death because I've sinned. We've all sinned. We've all betrayed a a holy God. We've displeased him and we continue to sin. That's not been turned off in our lives. So if you and I really want to get out of the entanglements that hold us back, that keep us down, if we want to get out of living at that dark address of hopelessness and discouragement, feeling like we're stuck in hell. If, if we truly want to get out of that, the only way is to abandon the entitlement that we've embraced for so long and to surrender, to raise the white flag of our hearts to a holy God that is, yes, inviting us to call him father, but also inviting us to call him Lord. See, we want all of Jesus We want the forgiveness and the blessings and the peace and heaven after this life and direction. We want all of Jesus. But that's not possible unless you give him all of you. And that's hard for us. And the more you have, the harder that is to do. In some places, surrender is easier. I've been in an orphanage in Moldova with 600 children whose parents leave them there and pick them up for just two or three weeks a year to help harvest crops as young as two years old and then take them back to the orphanage and they live in that orphanage the rest of the year. And if you were to walk into that orphanage and say to those kids, hey, would you surrender your life? Or are you willing to give all this up to know God and to have him work in your life? They would say, absolutely. I've been to Africa in a village in Tanzania and where the people there had only the clothes they were actually wearing where their beds were blankets on the floor and grass huts with no power and no air conditioning. If you were to walk into that village and you were saying, are are you willing to surrender all of this and make Jesus Lord of everything you have? Are you willing to give it all up? No problem. I've been to India where children are maimed and beaten and disfigured, where a leg is cut off or an arm of a little child so that when they go and beg, they're more sympathetic and will hopefully be, be given more money. And there are essentially pimps 
that harm these children and send them out to beg. And when they come back, they take all the money they brought in for the day. If you were to ask one of those children, are you willing to give up everything you have for Jesus and all that he offers you without hesitation? No problem. But here, would you be willing to give up everything for Jesus? Make him Lord of your life. Offer God a blank check for your future. God, where you want me to live, who you want me to marry, how you want me to stay in the marriage. God, the friendships you want me to have, the places you want me to work, the moves. I I don't just move for opportunities that benefit me financially. I'm going to look at moving through opportunities of strategic missions based on God. And so maybe sometimes I turn down more money for more significance. If God were to say to you, man, are you willing to just offer me everything and make me Lord? We pause. Our prayers here are often more of a negotiation with God than crying out to God. Surrender is saying, God, my life is yours. Did you notice in Jonah chapter one, we looked at it last week, he doesn't ask for God to save him. He he says, I was running in the opposite direction of what God asked of me. I wasn't obeying God. I deserve death. Just throw me in the sea. He does not pray, God, why is this happening? He does not pray, God, why did you do this to me? He doesn't even pray in that moment, God, save me. He just prays, God, I messed up. This is on me. I was wrong. He doesn't blame his parents or his income. He doesn't blame his spouse or the economy or his ethnicity. He doesn't blame anyone or anything else. He doesn't blame the Ninevites or the guys on the boat or the person who sold him the ticket to the boat. He just says, I deserve to die. I bought this consequence. Throw me over. And through that process, he surrenders and says, God, I don't deserve life. But if you give it to me, I will look to you and follow you from now on. You're in charge. So is God in your life in charge? Do you pray to a God you hope will bless you? Or are you praying to your Lord, the master of your life, who has bought and paid for you? Because when we surrender, we exchange our priorities for God's. Look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. Worthless idols. Well, I I don't do that. I don't have any idols at home carved out in the corner that I burn candles to. No, a, a worthless idol is just what you put ahead of God in your life. For some of you, God is your Lord. For others of you, you are your Lord. For some of you, God is your Lord. For others of you, financial gain is your Lord. For some of you, God is your Lord. For others of you, your relationships are your Lord. You can't somehow feel at what you call peace and you can't somehow be fulfilled unless you can buy this or hang out with these people or be in this place. And it's so important in our culture that everybody knows we're doing good. And we put all the pictures on Instagram that is no longer a picture platform, apparently, of what's happening on the outside, but we hide from God and everybody what's happening on the inside.
God says, this is how I want you to love. This is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to forgive. This is how I want you to handle money. This is how I want you to treat your spouse. This is how I want you to raise your kids. This is what I want your sexuality to look like. This is what I want you to do with your gifts. I'll consider that God, but I'm, I'm going to go in the opposite direction in a few areas. I, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take your suggestions under advisement. But I'm going to reign in my life, and ultimately I'm going to make this decision. You, you can be my God based on what you'll do for me, but you will not be my Lord and my master. Are you holding on to your plans and ignoring what God says? If so, if so, today's for you. Because you haven't surrendered. You might call him God, but you don't, you don't call him Lord. You've made a God in your own image that you try to make do through manipulation of praying and attending and being good. And you, you, you try to get God to do the dance he's supposed to do if, if you do the few things you're supposed to do. But there's some areas that God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. And you say, no, thank you. And you've decided to go the opposite direction. You remain in charge of your life. You make all the decisions you want. And when you do that, when I do that, how do you think it makes God feel when we call him Lord? What is it that God could be asking you to do that you've not done? What is it in your life that you have not surrendered? What, what's your Nineveh? What has God called you to or shown you in scripture that you've been running from? One of the main things over all the years of being a pastor, one of the main things that I see people run from, and I understand why, but in some ways I don't understand why. For many of you, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive my sin. As best I know how I commit my life to you. Thank you for loving me. And the very next thing he asks us to do in scripture, hey, I want you to be baptized as a, as a public expression of your faith. Oh, I, don't, I don't know about that. I don't know. Heard the water's a little cold. Is there chlorine in there? I don't know if it's safe. Who am I going in after? What if somebody farts in the water? I mean, I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, you know, I'm going to come up in a wet shirt and I, don't, I, I want to lose a few pounds before I do that. The very next thing, and, and, and I got to be completely honest with you, as a pastor, one of the primary things that I see, it's where the needle hurts a little bit when it goes in because things are clogged up and hindered from what God wants to do, is people have said, yes, I want Jesus in my life, I want forgiveness of sin, but they haven't taken the very next step. And there are people that have invited Jesus to come into, maybe you, you invited Jesus to come into your life and you wonder, why am I stagnant spiritually? Why do I not sense the presence of God in my life? Why is there no power in my prayers? Why, why do I need, not see God's will fulfilled in my life? Why, why am I missing, man, I, I'm just going through since last Sunday, nothing's really changed. And the Sunday before that, nothing's really changed. Could it be that something is clogged up in your life and hindered that God wants to do? Could it be that the very thing that you need to surrender, say, okay, God, I'll do what you ask. I'll be baptized. 
I'll pray a prayer to ask you to be Lord of my life and I'll call you Lord, but I'm not going to do you what you ask. That, that's not surrender. Did, did you know first John chapter two says this? And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments. Acts chapter eight. I love the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch Acts chapter eight, verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, another occasion in the book of Acts, they heard the gospel, said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift from the Holy Spirit. There is this picture in scripture of if Jesus is going to be my Lord, okay. I'm inviting you into my life to be my savior. That means you're my Lord, you're my master. You're on the cross when you shed your blood and then three days later you rose from the dead. You, you, you paid for me. If, if you want to stop living a hindered life, you have got to stop viewing what God says as optional. If you want to see God do more in your life, and by the way, guys, we only get to do this one time. That's it. And I don't know what's happened in your past. I believe fully the rest of your life, God can work in miraculous ways and blow your mind no matter who you are. If you just be willing to say, hey, you're not just my God, you're my Lord. Well, but I was, I, I was, I, I was dumped when I was a little kid and... Did you know that every single time in scripture someone's baptized, it's after they committed their lives to Christ? Every single time? I was eight years old and this was old school church. I walked down the aisle in the church and the pastor happened to be my grandfather. And I said, hey, I, I want to get baptized because I grew up in church and I knew it's kind of what you're supposed to do. And, and so I got baptized. But I didn't give my life to Jesus. I stayed in control. Eight years old. I was a little thuglet. When I was 16 years old, January the 4th, 1987, I gave my life to Jesus. And as best I knew how at the time, I said, I want you to be my Lord. And I dealt with people in my family that were embarrassed because I was going to be baptized and I'd already been baptized as a kid. I dealt with people in my family that said, what will people think? Well, they'll probably think what's right. I didn't know Jesus before now. There are a whole lot of people that worry more about what people think than what God thinks. So I, I don't know what happened in your past, and I'm not saying it wasn't meaningful, but some of you, your, your connection with God and the whole baptism thing is something that your parents may remember, but you don't because you were tiny. And it wasn't your own decision. You weren't owning your own faith. Own faith. Every single time in Scripture... It's when someone's already committed their lives to Christ. And baptism does not save you. That, that's when you invite Jesus to come into your life. But baptism is a picture of the old you is gone and the new me with Jesus living inside. That's who I am now. And if you have committed your life to Christ, but you've not taken that step of baptism, you've not surrendered, you've not made him Lord. So what do you need to surrender? Is it your life? Maybe today you need to take that step of giving your life to Jesus and you know that. Is it your schedule? Is it your goals? 
Is it your finances? You finally need to begin to put Jesus first financially and bring the first 10% to the local church. Because if you haven't surrendered that, he's not Lord. He's not Lord. Is it baptism? If it's baptism, listen how cool this is. Next Sunday, we just happen to be baptizing. Is that not amazing? Look at you. Look at the timing. Man, if that's you, take a step of faith. Stop pausing. Stop hesitating. Stop clogging up what God wants to do in your life. This is why you came this morning. Well, I'm just not sure though, because I think I was baptized at some point, but I'm not sure. Listen, one day when you get to heaven, do you think God's going to say to you, man, you you were baptized again because you wanted to make sure I'm really disappointed in you. you. You just took me too seriously. You got a little crazy about your faith and decided to do what I asked you to do. Do you think that's how God's going to think? I don't know what happened before now, but if you've given your life to Jesus and you're not sure that your baptism is where it needs to be, which is after you commit your life to Christ, you will be able to always, the rest of your life, look at next Sunday as the date you nail down, yes, on that day I surrendered and said yes to what God had been asking me to do. I'm not sure what happened before that, but I settled it on that day. Man, with everything in me, Because I know what God does. He gets you out of the hopeless, dark place, no matter what has swallowed you up when you're willing to surrender. Maybe for some of you, it's a different issue. If it's baptism, man, settle it. You need to register. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for the reality of who you are, for your goodness, for your love. And Father, for what we're learning from this this book about the life of Jonah. I pray for every person in this room this morning. That God, we would simply say yes to the next thing you're asking us to do. We would, we would surrender. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you know that the thing you need to do is to commit your life to Christ. You've not done that. To, to really say, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life, forgive my sin, live inside me. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. And if that's where you are, I want to encourage you. I can't think of a better time than today, and I can't think of a reason you'd want to hesitate. I want to encourage you to pray this simple prayer. I'd love to lead you in a prayer. You can pray it out loud, or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. But if you'd like to know God in a personal way and have your sins forgiven, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin. I want to live for you. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, would you look at me a second? If you just prayed that prayer, I'd love to know that. I want to invite you to shoot me a text. Just put your first name. That's all, just your first name. And send it to 407-487-8311. The reason I ask you to do that is I would love the opportunity to be able to pray for you by name this week. I'll get a list this afternoon of the first names of everyone that texts in today. I would love to be able to pray for you by name today and throughout the week. I'd love to be able to send you a free gift. We'll, we'll connect back with you through that text and get your contact info. I'd love to be able to send you something because you really do matter to us. So if you prayed that prayer with me, man, shoot me.